Let's get real. This is America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of America WK. My name is Andrew WK and as always, it is my true pleasure, privilege, and honor to be back with you. You know, I used to say quite often that I was honored to meet someone or very honored to receive a particularly over-the-top kind compliment, um, or as I said at the beginning of the show just now, I'm very honored to be speaking with you. And one time when I met a person, an artist actually, a visual artist, a painter and photographer, someone that I really respected, I told him I was very honored to meet him, and he said, there's no such thing as honor. Uh, I guess he didn't really tell me not to use that word, but I took what he said as maybe a strong recommendation that there's no such thing as honor. Now, I don't really understand exactly what he meant. He seemed to enjoy uh, teasing and trickery in general, so he may have just been trying to mess with me a little bit to make me feel perhaps awkward, or to second-guess myself. Sometimes in those uh, initial high-pressure meetings where you might be nervous to meet someone you admire, you can easily stumble over your words or say something that comes out the wrong way uh, or be made to feel self-conscious or embarrassed about something you said. And I certainly felt weird after I told him I was honored to meet him and he said, there is no such thing as honor. But isn't there, isn't there such a thing as honor? And isn't it not a bad thing to express that or to feel that? Perhaps he understood honor as somehow not being humble or not being necessary, but sort of being a superfluous, uh, excessive type emotion, maybe uh, equated with pride. Uh, maybe sort of a, a false sense of dignity, maybe an undeserved kind of self-respect um, or an undeserved admiration for someone else. I don't know, I'll never really know exactly what he meant, and I don't know that I really even asked him then for fear of appearing rude. Uh, plus, he's, he's my elder. He's a very wise gentleman, and as I mentioned, I was really in awe of him and getting this chance to meet him. But he said there's no such thing as honor. Despite that, I am still honored to be able to speak with you. And by that, I mean I feel very thankful, I feel very fortunate, very lucky, very privileged, uh, like I'm in the midst of a miraculous opportunity to be once again doing this show with you. It's episode number 19. Just chugging away here every week. And uh, I'm not sure if you heard me mention in one of my previews what today's topic is going to be. But I did mention last time that we have a very specific topic today. As usual, a rather large topic, almost an unwieldy uh, 
topic, so immense that not only could an entire series of radio episodes be dedicated to this topic, but there's an entire industry not only surrounding the production of this topic, but an entire industry perhaps just as large or even larger that is discussing and studying this topic. And that topic is movies. Now, I use the word movies. I've heard other people use film, motion pictures, cinema. I always just call them movies. Going to a movie theater. And when you think about movie, I guess that came into the uh, dictionary when we talked about moving images, frames of film going by so quickly that the objects in those otherwise still pictures appear to move. Movie. It's like almost kind of a cute kind of name. Cutie. Movie. Puppy. Caddy. So that's the topic that I chose today. And already I'm intimidated. Not only because I am no movie expert. I am in no way an authority on any sort of movie history. I'm just someone who loves movies. And like anyone who loves something has thought about them a great deal. But I'm also intimidated because, as I said, it's such a huge topic. It's hard to even know where to begin. What I can say from my own thoughts going into today's episode is that more and more for me personally, and perhaps you relate to this as well, the world around me and my place within it, life and the world has felt more and more strange, more and more surreal, more and more cinematic, more and more like a movie. And I don't know if that movie is a nightmarish movie. At times it seems like a horror movie. At times it seems like a comedy, an absurdist romp. At times it seems like a beautiful romantic drama. But I would say lately that it's been feeling more and more bizarre. Almost a type of high stakes action adventure thriller at which so many different global elements seem to be coming to a head. And what's interesting to note is that not only have movies almost prophetically signaled towards these sorts of events in the past, whether they were referring to historical moments in time or imagining potential future scenarios, some very dark. It is shocking to see how what appears to be reality is almost more unbelievable than even the most 
unbelievable movie. I don't know what to think of that. I don't know if it's me being paranoid or sort of letting my mind run away with itself. I don't know if, if things actually are crazier than they've ever been. If it, if it feels that way, maybe I'm just paying attention to it more than I had. Maybe things have always been this kind of crazy. Or is it just a way of reinterpreting things through my own development that allows me to see them this way? Maybe I was aware of them in the past, but just didn't care. Didn't feel like I could do something about it. I don't know that I feel like I can do much about it now. Yet I'm deeply concerned and I feel like I'm in some kind of a futuristic science fiction dystopian thriller. A very terrifying world. Doesn't mean it's a bad world. It certainly doesn't mean it's a lost cause. But that was my initial thought, just to get off my chest today, is that I've seen some crazy movies, you've seen some crazy movies. I think the people that made those movies possibly never imagined that we'd be facing some of these ideas or situations as reality. And it's even hard to call them reality because it seems so unreal. What, what does that mean when life seems so over the top that it doesn't seem real? That cannot be good because it is real. It may be even more real than it feels to us right now. Maybe even more viscerally intense because it's still at a distance for many of us. This is America WK. We're going to go into movies in every which way I possibly can think to go into them. That's what today's show is all about. Thank you very much for being with me. My name is Andrew WK. I'll be right back. America WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. It's the saddest thing that's happened in my life. The most heartbreaking thing that's happening to my country in my lifetime. Imagine that a story could be deemed important or unimportant, or important or more important, or less important, depending on the race or ethnicity of the victim or the perpetrator. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Now, the king of partying himself, your friend and mine, Andrew W.K. Welcome back to America W.K., where our topic today is movies. Or our topics today are movies. My name is Andrew W.K., and I am not a movie expert, so that's a bit of a disclaimer. Just so you don't have such high expectations. I should just say I'm never an expert about anything, so you have very low expectations no matter what I'm talking about. I'm simply a movie lover, and I really mean that. It's just everything about movies, uh, the very concept, the very delivery mechanism, whether it's projected in a theater, whether it's being watched on a TV. I even like watching movies on a very small screen like we have today, tablets, pads, phones. A lot of filmmakers have a lot of complaints 
about these small screens. I, of course, I understand what they're talking about, but I don't think there's any playback method that is wrong. You know, they're just different. I think listening to music is fantastic live with a live band, live orchestra, live performer. I also love listening to recorded music over wonderful, big, powerful speakers. I love listening to music over really tiny, tiny little speakers, like a transistor radio. Every delivery method counts, and I think that's the same with movies. I really believe uh, it's also a, a sign of the power of movies that so much can be experienced and communicated even in a very small screen. Of course, it's going to be intense to watch a movie when the screen is whatever, you know, 20 feet high. I mean, talk about IMAX or something. That is overwhelming almost no matter what is shown on the screen. But isn't it incredible that the medium of film, but not just film, but of a movie, of the story, of the performing actors, the the entire experience is so strong that you really can feel the movie on a tiny little two-inch by four-inch screen. At least I have. And I think it's important to respect that power, that what we're responding to is not the size of the screen. What we're responding to is this mysterious and baffling thing that is called watching a movie. There really isn't anything else quite like it. And I was thinking about this, I've thought about this a lot, uh, in terms of movies as an art form, as a craft, as something that human beings have come up with, much like music, there really isn't anything quite like it. It really isn't anything like any other thing. Movies are unique. Now, where does that leave something like TV? Where does that leave something like a play or a musical on stage? Where does that leave other types of performance experiences with an audience? I don't know. But I know none of them are exactly like a movie. And I also know that when you go to see a movie, even if you plan out the time to sit down and watch it at home, there's something that happens to that time. It it involves, I think, part of the anticipation, part of setting aside that time to do this thing that really involves doing nothing other than paying attention. And again, I don't want to get this too complicated uh, or too closely compared to TV because I think we can notice right away there is a difference. I don't think all TV watching, of course, doesn't all have to be mindless uh, or just surfing. You can set aside time to watch TV, especially if it's a you know a TV show that you really enjoy, especially if it's episodic. I mean, I think a lot of TV shows now are striving to be more like movies than ever. In fact, they might even be out-movieing movies in their scope, in their ability to expand characters, expand storylines across many hours of content. But even in that regard, that still makes movies unique because they're usually a one-and-a-half to possibly three-hour event. And as far as music goes, as far as visual arts go, as far as even acting itself goes... Movies combine all of those elements into something that is 
arguably, arguably the most advanced art form. And I only say that because you can do everything within it. Now, I've never made a movie. I don't really know, even know how I could. It, 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 that right there blows my mind, just how much goes into making really any movie, but especially what we would think of as a traditional motion picture production on that scale. It's staggering. It is almost truly building a world just for the sake of showing you images and and playing you sounds from this world that was built. I mean, imagine all the, the labor, all the man hours, all the woman hours, all the human energy devoted to creating this spectacle. Something that does not even exist outside of that screen. I mean, of course, the sets are oftentimes three-dimensional actual places. If they weren't built, then it's probably set in a real city. Uh, it could be a computer-generated set. But whether they actually exist in three-dimensional space, whether they're computer-generated, whether it's an actual city shot on location, all of that is just a means to an end, a means to getting this thing on the screen. And even getting that thing on a, the screen is a means to an end, and that end being how it feels to experience watching it. And just the way that movies can combine music and visuals, just that makes it one of the most compelling art forms, one of the most compelling human encounters. I mean, we've all probably had some experience of watching a movie that we're quite familiar with that maybe doesn't have a lot of dialogue in a particular scene but is very intense and has a lot of sound going on and, and probably a lot of music. When you watch it muted, it's an entirely different experience. Or if you, of course, close your eyes, as I did many times, watching movies with my parents, and there was some kind of, you know, either too violent or too sexual or just too adult scene happening on the screen, they'd tell me to cover my eyes. And just then to hear the movie without seeing, it was very intense. The power in combining these unbelievable strengths the power of music combined with, with, a, with a visual image, a moving visual image. And then you mix all of that with acting, which is an unbelievable and completely unique, powerful artistic discipline in itself. And then you combine that with, you know, camera work and design and storylines, writing. I mean, it, 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 it's really remarkable. I'd never really thought about that. I mean, of course, I had realized that when you make a movie, you get to work with all these things. But if you're someone who is a master of all the creative powers, all the creative disciplines, all the creative arts, you can really apply all those skills in movie making. And in that way, it really doesn't get any better. I think probably every artist, whether they're a painter or any kind of creative person would dream of being able to make a movie, would dream of having that enormous budget to make what they wanted to make happen, happen on this screen. And how incredible is it that every now and then, the forces of commerce and business and entertainment align with pure creative vision, and you get 
a classic movie, a movie that will stand the, the test of time and delight people and be successful at the box office and all that. Maybe it doesn't happen. Some might say it doesn't happen as much as it used to. But it still happens. And it's, it's amazing that it does because the amount of money that is spent on making these films could, uh, you know, probably save the world if it was being spent other ways. I'm not saying that it should be or shouldn't be. But uh, if you collected the budgets for one year of all the major motion picture studios and used that money in a needy place, imagine what that could do. If that's how much money it is, it's, it's, it probably exceeds the annual governmental budgets of all kinds of countries. Even just one film could exceed the budget of some poor cities around the world. Movies are a huge part of humanity at that point. At this point, I think they're almost as prevalent in our culture as music, perhaps even more so. It's America WK. I'll be right back. A party for being alive. This is American WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up on Pat and Stu. It was interesting, though, to see uh, the exact route Jeffy walked on the way to the starting point because you could see it marked by the sweat trail. Uh, <laughs> Crossed. Yeah, oh, that's where yeah. Jeffy crossed right there. Oh, it looks like you stopped there for a minute because there's still a puddle. It was uh, it was not pretty. I, have you thought about seeing a physician for, for something what? other than excess pain pills you don't need? Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK, and we have chosen to attempt to scratch the surface of the surface of movies. That's right, movies, films, motion pictures, cinema. That's our topic. And I was trying to think about the first movie I ever saw. Now, as is often the case with these very early life experiences, I probably saw quite a few different movies, uh, including TV shows and all that, that I just don't remember. I don't know if that's because they weren't compelling enough to form a memory or I wasn't old enough to really be forming any memories of anything. But uh, I wasn't too difficult for me to remember the first movie feeling that I can actually recall that I walked away with and never forgot. And you may relate to this very much yourself because I have spoken to other folks, other friends who had almost an identical experience. It almost seems to be a, a, a rite of passage to a degree for young people the world over to have an early movie experience with Disney. And I think the first movie I ever saw that I, that I remember 
that I formed thoughts about, that I had feelings about, was Walt Disney's Bambi. And I was more or less completely devastated. I left the theater crying. I actually think my mom had to remove me from the theater. Uh, Of course, what made me cry was the notorious, climactic, and extremely upsetting forest fire in which Bambi's mother is killed. And it's obviously no accident that Walt Disney not only included a scene that was so intense, but actually had the whole movie building up to it and allowed the contrast of the otherwise very serene and lavish forest life suddenly become uh, engulfed in flames and, and volume and horror. And it wasn't just that there was this very dramatic shift in tone, but I didn't even ever probably really think about anyone's mom dying at that age. I was probably three years old. And I believe my mom took me to see this in the theater, uh, obviously a re-release, which Disney has been known to do, not only re-releasing their movies in the theaters, especially back then, before they had home movie viewing as commonly. They now re-release on DVD and will then take movies out of circulation and then re-release them in special editions. So I saw Bambi in the theater, full volume, giant screen at that early age. And my mom probably maybe didn't really either remember the movie herself that well or probably forgot just how intense that scene is or that sequence of Bambi's mother dying. It just had never even crossed my mind that someone's mom could die or that even people died, that anyone could die, a deer, a human, It was that primal. It was that early on. That was probably my first encounter with the very idea of death. And and of all beings, of all figures to die, to have the thought of one's mother dying in a traumatic way, such as a forest fire, was just completely shattering. And I believe I could not continue watching the movie. And I believe I have not seen the movie since. And I think that's probably subconsciously because it's too upsetting. I probably have held on to that. One of my first thoughts, my first experiences, my first conscious memories, I've held on to it this entire time. You know, 33 years later. And just thinking about it now is still very upsetting. So just consider the mindset of Walt Disney. I recently read a great biography on Walt Disney. I wish I had the author's name. It's one of them. I, th- I think it's the most recent one. Yellow cover was uh, very well received, highly regarded. I think pretty much uh, all the Disney books out there are are worth checking out or, or will offer some type of 
insight. And this is a master filmmaker. Uh, and I, I talk about, uh, you know, a man that changed everything. That's We can go into Disney all day. But I think we can say in terms of movie making and film, he revolutionized the entire industry because of his showing that animation could not only be developed to a very high level, but could be a verifiable film experience, a feature-length animated movie that could compete with or even exceed other movies of its time, and to this very day. And he didn't hold back with that Bambi movie. And if I remember correctly from reading that biography, there was some debate about whether this forest fire scene in which Bambi's mother dies was too much, was too intense, was too upsetting, was just too strong. And he very wisely said, no, we have to do it. And as as upsetting as it was to see that, I'm glad he did that. I believe that Disney uh, is trying to go through life experiences with us at its best. It is able to explore these very primal, very deep, almost mythological aspects of the human experience, as upsetting as they may be. And uh, I actually now, having thought about this, I would like to see Bambi again. And I would be shocked if I didn't cry. And isn't it amazing that a movie can make you cry? Even just thinking about a movie. I mean, just thinking about that now. If I really let myself go and sort of stopped trying to hold it together so I can speak to you clearly or as coherently as I'm able to, I probably could cry right now. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not proud of it. It just is what it is. I'm talking about movies, talking about Bambi. That was my first movie experience. This is America WK. Please stay with me. America WK with your host, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. And I'm thinking the same thing. I'm alone. I'm alone. And nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. There are, and I know this may come as a shock to many of you, there are many liberty-loving Latinos out there who adore the U.S. Constitution, who revere the United States of America, who understand the ramifications of a country of laws, a nation of laws. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio show restoring your faith in humanity through the power of positive partying. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. Today's topic is movies. Just before the break, I was talking about my first movie experience in a theater, which was seeing Bambi. Of course, now this movie was made a long time ago. I believe this was. now, of course, I don't have these facts in front of me due to my poor preparation, but I believe that Bambi was the second movie um, after Snow White. I think, you know, Snow White was the first 
massive Disney animated full-length production. Took many years of, of, of work, and it was a worldwide smash success that exceeded even the highest expectations. And I could, of course, be, be wrong, but I think that Bambi was the follow-up to that. And if not, it certainly followed, uh, you know, relatively soon. It was, it was an earlier era. And, you know, if you think about it compared to Snow White, there really is nothing as intense and as hardcore in Snow White as that fire scene in Bambi. And during the break, I was thinking more about that, all these memories flooding back about that early movie experience, going to see this with my mom. It was just my mom and myself. My dad wasn't there. My brother hadn't been born yet. And my mom took me out of the theater, and I think she was crying. I think she was sobbing. We were both sobbing. Uh, had to leave before the movie was even done. I think she even was shocked and overwhelmed. Hadn't expected to have that reaction. And that's what a movie can do. That can bring, bring that out of you. To go to a place of deep truth that can easily be exploited. I mean, some could argue that movie makers exploit that part of the human psyche. Take advantage of its sensitivity. Of how easy it is to manipulate and to poke at and to stimulate but ideally, I think we can be strong enough to allow ourselves to be open. To be open to artists prodding us <laughs> and letting them have their way with us just for the length of a movie. But talk about the length of a movie. I mean, here it is. I watched whatever, maybe, you know, three quarters or five, six of that movie. And the length of the experience has lasted 33 years. 33 years of feeling that movie. That's probably the most powerful aspect of movies. Much like a song that you love becomes part of you. And you can hear it in your head. And sing the melody. And hear it as clear as a bell without even having to audibly hear it. The atmosphere that a powerful film creates can stay with you forever. It's like a flavor. It's like a smell. It's like a place of its own. It's a place inside you. And there are times, including times very recently, where I've watched movies and the atmosphere that was created in the film was so strong that it went out of the movie into my world. Suddenly, the room I was in watching this movie was penetrated by that atmosphere, was dripping with that atmosphere. The way the colors looked in the movie, suddenly the world around me matched those colors, almost like a chameleon shifting its texture to be more like what was around it. I became like the movie. My, the feeling in my head matched the atmosphere. And it stayed long after. Have you ever watched a movie 
And then even the next day, the feeling of that movie is dripping on you. It's stuck on you. It's still there. Sometimes, much to your dismay, you can't shake it. You almost start wishing you hadn't watched it. Even if you really enjoyed it, you just can't. It's not even like you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop feeling it. The feeling of the movie. I mean, I don't know anything else quite like that. I've gotten it from books. But I've rarely read an entire book. You know, a full-length novel or a very powerful literary work in, you know, two hours. But you can have this epic lifetime of experience or the sensation of all this happening to you by watching a movie in two hours and it stays with you arguably or possibly forever. You don't even need to watch it again. There's movies that I have absolutely loved, couldn't have enjoyed more, that I I actually just don't want to see again because it was so intense. It's like I don't need to go through that again. I would never not have wanted to see it. I wouldn't take that back. But I don't know that I ever need to do that again. It's sort of like uh, if you've ever been electrocuted, maybe by accident, you know, hopefully not in a damaging or truly painful way, but enough to say like, okay, well, I've experienced that. I have that under my belt in life. I've done that. I felt that. Do I want to have it again? No, but I'm I'm glad that I can say that I know what that feels like. I mean, I'm sure you've you've had that feel. You've seen a movie and you just couldn't you can't go through it again. It's it, it, it's it's too, you are changed. What is that? What is that? You can't just say, "Oh, well, it's such a great director, such great performances." It's something about what movies are. And again, it's different than books. It's different than music. It's different than a play. Different than a musical. Different than a painting, a sculpture. There's something that happens with movies. It's America WK. I'll be right back. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, you're going to elect a guy who says he's a socialist and say that Wall Street's all based on fraud. It's all fraud. You know, they're stealing stuff. What's amazing to me, by the way, is I wonder what happens if somehow Bernie edges out Hillary for the nomination, which I think is still a very, very, very remote possibility. But it is a possibility. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. America WK, with your friend and mine, Andrew WK, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to America WK. Our topic today is movies. And uh, already halfway through the episode, I feel like we barely touched on anything. Of course, I take full responsibility for that. I'm trying to go into this, but this topic is just uh, overwhelming. It is... So big, it's so vast, there has been so much said about 
this phenomenon of film. And, you know, it's very similar to me to music in that no amount of writing or talking about it really can equal or even express the actual experience of watching them. Of course, that's why they are what they are. And I, we were talking about the, the, the atmosphere, the way a, a, a movie's feeling can get into you and become part of you, or you become part of it. You know, it makes you feel like you are somewhere else. And how does that happen? It's because we let it happen. We make it happen. That's the incredible partnership, this beauty of the viewer's partnership with the filmmaker. With the film itself. Because even the filmmaker seems to be secondary to the film itself. Of course, when you're watching a great movie and you're aware of the director, you feel their presence. You imagine that they're presenting this world to you on film. You imagine the actors are working to present this to you. But again, all of those folks and their efforts are a means to an end, to this sensation and of course, movies can have messages. Movies can have stories that tell very specific tales with values and meanings and symbolism. But for me, nothing is better than that atmosphere, that feeling of the movie, where I don't have to even know necessarily what the point of the movie is. Sometimes that can be frustrating. Sometimes you want to understand the movie in this very direct way, wrap it up, in a nice little box with a pretty bow and put it away for safekeeping with a real sense of achievement that I got that and I know what it was. But there are some movies where you just really don't know what you're supposed to think. You just know that you felt a whole lot of life. You felt this feeling of the movie. And that really is just, uh, you know, like the feeling of looking at a painting. The feeling of listening to music, the feeling of reading a book, great stories are still, I think, a means to an end. Because they're all trying to get at some kind of truth, and truth is ultimately a feeling. And I only mean feeling not just as a physical sensation, but a feeling as an experience, an experiential encounter with what is real. And movies do that. I don't think you could actually have the patience to sit through two hours of anything unless there were glimpses or the, 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 the possibility, the promise of maybe getting to that feeling. And all different kinds of movies can do it. They don't all have to be heavy, intense movies. But I'll tell you, that, that genre of heavy, intense movies, whew, I can mess up your whole day. I can mess up your whole week. I mean, horror, mo horror movies of the type that I'm thinking about aren't relying necessarily just on jump-out surprises or gruesome, gory effects or violence. They rely on that atmosphere where all of a sudden your house feels creepy. And you can't believe... That you just finished watching this movie and now you're a little apprehensive about walking down the hall. You turn on a few extra lights, even as you just make your way to the bathroom. 
You know, you, you look twice out the window uh, into the dark night beyond. Can't really see much because of your reflection and all the brightness inside. And yet you don't even really want to look outside because of what you might see. And then you can't believe you're even thinking that there could be something out there because it was just a movie. But it certainly doesn't feel like just a movie. Your mind really can run away with itself. And we love that. I suppose it's not truly scary because if it was really truly scary in a way that was upsetting, we wouldn't watch those kind of movies. If it really was scary, I guess it's thrilling in a fun way. Although, actually, I've met many people, have very close family members that will not watch what we would call scary movies because they really do get scared and they don't like it. And I don't mean in a light way. It's upsetting to them to a point of true pain, true emotional pain. And what does that? This magical, mystical power of movies. And that's, again, this agreement. When you're watching a movie, you've made this agreement, not just to sit down and spend this time. Because, yeah, maybe you don't like the movie, you stop watching it. You don't have to commit to watching the whole thing. Some people uh, that are big movie fans, I know that they always will finish a movie, even if they hate it within the first few minutes. It's always the possibility, of course, that you'll change your mind as you go. You can rewatch a movie later that you really didn't like, and suddenly you're blown away by it. But it's not just that you're committing this time. You're committing to believing this thing that you know isn't real. Because even a documentary, let's, okay, let's say it's all true, real documentary footage. And I don't mean uh, enhanced um, cinematically shot documentary footage. I mean, it could even be like news real footage. Just pure, true documentary footage, journalistic style. And even then, you know it's not really happening. It's just lights and sounds on a screen. So there's something about deciding to view those lights and sounds as true that has this incredible power over us. I wonder what ways, what other ways, could we apply that same type of concentration, that same sort of agreement, that same kind of trust that we put into a movie viewing experience. Where else could we put that in life? Now, of course, there's the obvious, such as we've discussed already, literature and music, other art forms. But can we approach life itself sort of as though we're viewing a movie and not in a way that says that life is unreal in the way that perhaps a movie is unreal? but that we're agreeing to fully encounter the world the way we're agreeing to fully encounter a movie. That we suspend not just our disbelief in a movie, we suspend really our judgment for a moment. We suspend our, hopefully, cynicism for a moment. We give ourselves over to the movie and let it do something to us because we understand that's the way it works. That's the only way we're going to get anything out of it. Perhaps we can use that as an example and turn ourselves over to life, to the world itself a bit more. To just experience the world 
as openly and as enthusiastically, but as detached as we do a movie. Let it happen to us. Well, I'm not saying detachment is a good state of mind to perpetually be in, but I just mean detachment in that way that is not disconnected. In fact, you're detached from your need to think with movies that allows you to actually think more deeply. You turn off those surface thoughts, those knee-jerk reactions, and sort of think from a, a more subtle but perhaps more penetrating place. And it's something about letting things happen to that part of your mind where it doesn't need to really have an opinion or a thought or a judgment or a this, that, or the other. It's just that part quiets down. That must be why we love watching movies too, just to turn off that part of our mind for a little bit. To let a different part of our mind go to work, receive and experience things. To watch the world like a movie. Just, just a thought, just to try it. Not to say that life is a movie, although we can certainly compare it to that, and perhaps we will when we come back after this short break. Thank you for being with me. It's America W.K. You're listening to America W.K. with Andrew W.K. on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. What is the difference between what you're eating now versus what you ate 40 years ago? It's more mass-produced crap that they put in the food so it'll stay on the shelf longer so Unilever and these other companies can make even more money. We have to go back to eating fruits and vegetables in this stuff. And I don't need the federal government under the guise of protecting public health screwing with us on this stuff. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is America WK with Andrew WK, only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we're back. It's America WK. Today's topic is movies, film, cinema, the motion picture itself. I've actually avoided, for the most part, mentioning any specific movies. Uh, I mentioned just only the first movie I ever remember seeing, which was Bambi. And it was a very traumatic experience for me. And I had to leave the theater with my mom and myself both crying after Bambi's mother dies in the fire. But other than that, I've chosen to not mention specific movies because I wanted to let you put movie titles that relate to these ideas to these thoughts yourself. Um... But with that being said, I just thought of uh, another early movie experience. I believe, at least as far as I can remember, that this was my second movie-going experience that was, in a way, equally upsetting. And strangely enough, almost a perfect, symmetrical, parallel companion piece to the parental, traumatizing Bambi experience. And that was going to see 
Oh, boy. I think it was uh, The Empire Strikes Back. See, now, once again, this is why I really should prepare a bit more. I was trying to think of my earliest movie experiences, and this is definitely, this actually was the first one I remembered, but I I know that Bambi was earlier, and I remembered that one uh, afterwards. Uh, I'm looking this up here. Star Wars, I just want to make sure, Empire Strikes Back. Because I saw this movie with my mom in the theater. And this is probably, you know, gosh, well, if it came out in 1980, I was only born in 1979. I saw it in the theater. I mean, but it, is it possible they were really playing it? I, I think I saw this probably, again, when I was three years old. Or maybe I must have seen Bambi when I was two years old or something. Gee whiz. Because I moved away from California when I was four years old, and I'm positive that both of these early movie-going experiences were before that. So it had to be three or two. Well, it's possible that... Let's see here. Now I just got to look at the plot, because what was so upsetting in my ignorance here, what was so upsetting about the uh, Star Wars experience was very much like the... Bambi's mother dying experience was Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker's dad, dying. But not just that, but realizing that his dad had been trying to kill him. I couldn't believe that someone's dad would try to kill his son. Yes, okay, I've confirmed it. This is Empire Strikes Back. This is the plot. This is the right movie. And I was I, I I remember asking my mom over and over again, why 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 would Luke's dad? Well, first I just couldn't understand how that was Luke's dad. I mean, why wouldn't he know that was his dad? Why would his dad be, uh, you know, so uh, removed from him to be even an enemy? And uh, why would he actually try to kill him? That was just it, it, completely perplexing and uh, so upsetting on so many levels. I mean, of course, I probably was too young. I don't want to say too young to see the movie, but too young to understand it. Although I did. I just didn't understand how that could be, how that could happen in the world, how a father couldn't love his son or could love his son and still try to harm him or even kill him. Or that you could not know that this person was your dad. All of that was just completely overwhelming. (laughs) I think that I cried uh, in that movie as well. Just a lot of crying, <laughs> a lot of uh, dramatizing movie experiences with a lot of tears early on. I'm surprised that I wanted to ever see a movie again after that double whammy of Bambi with the mother dying and then Empire Strikes Back with the father dying. That's a lot. That's a lot of intensity right there. But here I am, you know, all these years later. Still in that moment, still able to taste that feeling and remember the remember the actual experience. I remember being on the sidewalk after the movie, asking my mom, like pleading with her to explain it. I think she was probably also emotional and upset as well to a degree with the, with the Star Wars movie and probably wondering why she took me to go see it. 
So there's something like, I don't really have any other memories of children's books at that age uh, forcing me to grapple with these kinds of ideas or flinging me into the deep end of life's big puzzles. And I certainly don't remember any kind of encounter with uh, music uh, or paintings or pictures or, or even TV that had such an overwhelming, like washing over my brain kind of feeling as movies. I mean, I was just scared. That's just the, the best way to put it. It was like going through a haunted house. The, the screen was so huge. The volume was so loud. I mean, think about how loud movies are. But with such great quality speakers in a theater, I love how loud movies can be. And when the speakers are that advanced uh, and have that wide of a spectrum of, of frequencies, then it can be very loud and never really actually be too loud. Never so loud that it hurts your ears. But man, I just love it when it's loud. I uh, really admire directors who make their movies loud. And by that, I mean they have some dynamics. They'll have parts that are relatively quiet so that when something loud happens, especially loud music, it's loud. You feel it. Even if you're watching it on a small screen, just to have that, that contrast, that dynamic jump. And that doesn't even begin to get into the world of movie sound effects, movie sound design. Everything from the foley walking, the people that recreate all the uh, steps and physical gestures and clothing moving across bodies, not to mention uh, the explosions, uh, the atmospheric environmental sounds, the ambient textures. Uh, it just, it's, it's again, it's just absolutely incredible. You get to recreate the world in a movie. And not only do you get to recreate it, you get control over it. You get to enhance it. You get to amplify it. You get to, to craft it to your will, to your vision. It's hard to not think of movies as the ultimate art form. It's almost overkill. It's almost too much power. I mean, talk about playing God. If there ever was a field or an industry that plays God, it might just be cinema. It might be movies. I mean, it seems like they have the ability to make a world and have control over it more than science at this point. Of course, it's very different, but is it, is it, is it really that different? I've noticed uh, a disturbing, or what I think is a rather disturbing trend in movies that has just been building and building, and just when you think it's going to die out, and they can't possibly make another movie centered around these themes, they make ten more of them. It's not like a new trend, but it's just been churning out of Hollywood. It's America WK, I'll be right back. A party for being alive. This is American WK with Andrew WK on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. 
she started getting questions about the server, which she turned over because she knew there was going to be a court order demanding it be handed over. And it looks a lot better if you say, well, here it is. And then we find out it was in the bathroom of a tech company in Colorado. In the bathroom? The secret server was in the bathroom? Pure Opelka. Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The undisputed king of partying invites you to a no-holds-barred celebration of being alive. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. It's the movie episode. Talking about movies, as usual, I feel like we can almost sort of frame the topic. It's sort of like uh, an introduction to an introduction, like a, a dust jacket introduction to movies i don't know the, the philosophy of movies it's it's certainly not the history of movies i'm talking about it's the, the 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 psychological impact of movies the magic of movies i mean there's just so much you could spend a lifetime just studying the technical aspects of camera work not to mention 10 lifetimes studying acting or even a hundred lifetimes studying music and scores and soundtracks. And then combine all of those, you need like a, a thousand lifetimes to really become a master filmmaker. And yet some people do it in just one lifetime. Although it seems highly likely that they were probably reincarnated. Although they didn't have movie making in the past. So how are these 20th century masters of filmmaking able to pick up this relatively new phenomenon this new skill this new art form this new craft think of that think of just how new it is i mean well, how far do you go back 200 years ago the closest they would have had was some kind of flip book i think and in terms of what we think of as the modern hollywood studio phenomenon that is i don't know 1930s I mean, uh, by 1940, it was probably... In King, when was King Kong? 1936? 1933? I apologize for my lack of preparation. My ignorance in general. But you get the idea. It hasn't even been around for 100 years. Or barely 100 years. If, 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 if any kind of motion picture technology has existed, it's still very new. And yet people have mastered it. Or maybe they haven't. Maybe we'll look back in another hundred years and I can't really even imagine what will be happening in a hundred years in any area of life, let alone movies. And in that regard, it sort of seems silly, like movies are kind of trivial in the grand scheme of all this. Yet they feel very important because they don't feel like a distraction at their best. Even the most might be described as fluffy, disposable film, it just doesn't seem like it's completely worthless. There's there's something to be gained, even if you realize that you don't want to have anything to do with what it's portraying or how it's making you feel. There's some kind of inherent value in the very concept of a movie, or maybe we, we, we believe so much in the possibility 
of a good movie that we're even willing to entertain the bad ones. The ones that really do feel like a waste of time. Well, before the break, I was talking about this trend that I'm sure you have noticed building up and building up and building up and going on, jeez, at least for, uh, you know, in heavy rotation for the last 15 years. And I'd say arguably it's been around for the last 30 years, but it's just been uh, almost exponentially growing. You see more and more of these films and more and more uh, intense portrayals of what? Of a futuristic, doomsday, dystopian version of the world. And disaster movies, movies involving extraordinary crises, uh, action movies with huge quantities of violence and death, are one thing, but it's an entire different situation when time and time again we are thrust forward into some not-too-distant future in, what, in, in which what we would call regular day-to-day life has been replaced with something horrific, something inhumane, and something extraordinarily upsetting. And frightening. Now, why? What is Hollywood's fetish for these future doomsday scenarios? Whether it's a giant earthquake, whether it's an asteroid, or it seems like more frequently, time and time again, we see a future version of civilization where some sort of event, whether man made or otherwise, accidental or intentional, has altered society and culture to such a radical degree that it's almost an alien version of civilization, if you could even call it that. Over and over and over again, we see this portrayed. Why? Is it because we as movie viewers like to see this? Are we fascinated by the future? Well, of course, the future is a very exciting thing to wonder about, but why does it always have to be portrayed so darkly? Is it that Hollywood specifically is interested in giving us this vision? If so, why? I remember, and here I'll mention a specific film, I remember not that long, at least for the way I felt living in New York City, not that long after I and everyone else went through 9-11 in New York, I remember seeing a subway poster, a big poster for the movie Cloverfield, that seemed to almost be reveling in showing Lower Manhattan a big smoking, smoldering remain with a shattered and burned out semi-collapsed Statue of Liberty in the foreground. And then Cloverfield coming on some date. And I was, I I just couldn't, I really couldn't believe it. I was so, uh, I don't want to say I was offended or hurt or upset even. It was sort of beyond that. I was just shocked. I couldn't believe that someone would dare make a movie about destroying New York, downtown New York, but then would put up a poster of it with that specific image, almost an exact replica of exactly what happened and how how, how New York looked on 9-11. 
And sure, maybe if you didn't live there, maybe it wouldn't seem quite as intense, but it seemed very intentional. It seemed very deliberate. It seemed perhaps like uh, we talked about a bit earlier, a bit, a bit exploitive, not just exploiting the events, but exploiting people's emotional connection to those events. For what? A monster movie. What does that mean? I don't know that it's even bad. I'm not saying it's bad to explore that. Perhaps it's therapeutic. What do you think? Perhaps sort of reliving those experiences in a fantasy, in a movie, where we do have some kind of control, where we can wrestle a happy ending out of these otherwise horrific events. Maybe that's somehow a healing process. I don't know, though. I don't want to see those movies right now. I haven't wanted to see them since 9-11. And I just cannot believe how many more keep coming out. I'm sure you've noticed this. Just over and over and over again. I just saw a preview for a brand new movie coming out. That's a sequel to a relatively, uh, well, I guess a very successful movie based on a young adult book. And the sequel, what does it involve? Oh, well, they, they sort of emerge. I'm not going to name the name. They emerge and discover that the world has been destroyed. All the cities are in ruins. Everything's torn apart. What does this mean? What is, what's going on with this? It's America WK. I'll be right back. This is America WK. Featuring Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand. What I think of as the popular culture looks at sexual straying not as a a naughty man making a, a horrible decision to betray his marriage vows, but instead as nothing more than the altogether natural consequence of genetic conditions. Uh, he's a man, isn't he? An intense hormonal activity. Hey, he fell in love, didn't he? What do you want him to do? Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to America WK with Andrew WK. Welcome back to America WK. This is Andrew WK. Today's topic has been movies. Tried to get into some different angles when it comes to the movie experience. I guess the movie viewing experience, because I guess we haven't talked too much about making movies or being in movies, but more the experience of watching them and living in a world that puts movies at the forefront of our culture. Because uh, regardless of how things may have changed with technology, movies are still one of the biggest things that goes on in culture. And right before the break, we were talking about this uh, trend, this ongoing and seeming uh, growing, it seems. Growing trend of portraying dystopian futures in which civilization has collapsed through some sort of catastrophic event 
And uh, I've heard many different theories on this. One theory that is, is truly chilling is the idea that this is an intentional predictive conditioning, like a preparatory encounter with an unavoidable eventuality, unavoidable future, that the world is going to very soon be in shambles and that these movies help to get us ready. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know what to think about that. Of course, I certainly hope that that has nothing to do with what's to come. Perhaps the movies are warnings. Perhaps they are showing us potentials. If we don't do good really soon, we could wind up with a world like this. Let's pull back from the brink while we still have a chance. That could be a great service. Because I don't think anyone watching the movie, no matter how much they love the story or the actors or the characters or even the feeling of the movie, they could be a big fan. I don't think anyone would want one of these futures. Or perhaps they're preparing us to still be able to uh, even go through our very immediate futures, even perhaps that same day, facing challenges that are not necessarily as extreme as the collapse of civilization as we know it, but still a very intense, upsetting, and world-changing kind of personal experience, and to realize that we can stay strong, much like many of the characters do when faced with these otherwise overwhelming scenarios. Maybe they help to shrink our problems, our own situations relatively, and make them seem more manageable. That could be seen as doing a good service. What do you think? I leave it to you to ponder that. I'm sure you probably already have when you're being faced with these movies because they're rather unavoidable. If you don't see them, you see the poster. If you don't see the poster, you hear someone else talking about it. If you don't hear someone else talking about it, you're hearing me discuss it right now. Lastly, I wanted to say that in a very real way, in a very exciting way, our life is our own movie. And this is just a, a novel type of mindset. But consider that you are the director, the writer, and basically the star of this movie. And I think it helps. It's a helpful point of view. Not to say that we have complete control over life, because I don't know that we would want complete control, despite feeling like we might enjoy that. I think we don't. But I think much like a great movie, a great adventure movie, for example, those ups and downs, those challenges, those adversaries, those antagonists, those uh, bad guys, and those ordeals, that's what makes the movie count. That's what makes the movie worth watching. That's what makes the movie valuable. And that's what makes whatever we learn from the movie mean something to us. What is a movie without some conflict? It doesn't mean that we seek out conflict in life, but when it seems to inevitably arise, we remember that somehow this is about making our life count. That this has some value, even in its 
most upsetting or challenging nature. And much like an, a, a fantastic movie that challenges us, let us look at our life in that same kind of way that these ups and downs somehow make the entire life experience richer, more interesting, more valuable, more dramatic, yes, more painful, yes, but more full of life. Because if we're really honest with ourselves and strong enough, we don't want an easy life. We want an incredible life. We want an amazing life. We want a life that's worth making a movie about. And the only way to get that is to let it be intense, to let it be challenging, to allow yourself to have hard times in life and to go through them with not glee necessarily, but with a type of enthusiasm, a type of deeper knowing that says this is all part of it. This is all part of this movie called My Life. Thank you for being with me on this episode of America WK, where I tried my own questionable way to get into this topic of movies. Let's keep watching them. Let's try making them. And let's most of all try to apply some value to our life from them. Thank you. I love you. This is America WK with Andrew WK. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.